Hello, and welcome to CAA Podcasts. Today, I'm with Meg Mitchell and Christian Benefield, and their topic today is, Do We Owe It to Our Students to Teach Practical Skills? Christian Benefield is a sculptor from Maryland. He's an associate professor of art at Shepherd University and teaches metal casting at the University of the Arts Helsinki. Meg Mitchell is an associate professor of digital media foundations at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, teaching courses on digital foundations, interactive art, code-based art, and digital fabrications. Welcome. I want to put this question to you, Meg, because uh, I just know a fair amount about your studio practice and like the way that you approach uh, making work. Uh, and I, you know, you sort of have a diverse, uh, you know, like a, a diverse set of like skill sets at your fingertips, um, yeah. which is something I've always sort of like admired about your work. Um, and, uh, the, you know, like the, I'm sure, you know, you probably listen to the news the same way that I do about how there's just a lot of schools, a lot of programs that are sort of evaluating, you know, what the sort of like positives and negatives for different majors, different programs, different things like that are. Um, right. and it's, de- it's definitely something that we deal with. I mean, uh, you know, Shepherd's obviously a smaller institution, but uh, one of the things that has, you know, in, in you, you also, I think, know from my sort of like background is that like I'm a very material driven artist and like, you know, the, the yeah. technical ability is something that that I don't necessarily take pride in, but like it's just integral in my in my practice. But the, one of the things that's irked me is this is sort of like push for higher ed to become something that's more almost more vocational. Uh, and less about sort of like learning and uh, exploration and sort of like problem solving and things like that. Yeah, I mean, we are definitely seeing that in Wisconsin and not, you know, I don't think in a lot of ways the way that we're seeing it isn't any different from the way that any other institution is seeing it, except that our our, our state governor actually attached the state legislature's funding requisition to the university. Um, he raised our budget, but with the condition that it would be for focused on job training. Right. Yeah. And so that was really kind of a first, at least for our institution, um, because our institution has always been sort of, you know, regarded as like a, a bastion of humanities based education. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. So and like we're coming out of a liberal arts uh, in our school has a, has a very liberal arts ethos to it. Yeah. which is, uh, you know, sim- I guess a, a similar sort of thing. And while we haven't, we haven't had like specific legislation attached on to things like that. I mean, I, and I think that, you know, like it's, it's, it's super easy to jump on maybe the right about, uh, you know, politically with that working in a state institution. Uh, Obama got into like a little bit of a kerfuffle about saying like, oh, we don't need any more art history majors, you know. Yeah, uh, and of course, like all the art history majors, like whoa, 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 buddy, like uh, you know, squeeze the brakes a little on that. And so I think, like, and, and we're also seeing pressure just in our in our area, uh, like regionally, because we're for the most part we're sort of a regional institution where uh, companies that are used to hiring our students are starting to push like sort of demands for curriculum. Like we want yeah. we want grads to know this coming out. We want grads to know that coming out. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel like at a certain point, almost every job that I have ever held down that was nine to five or that was outside academia, no matter what I knew, you know, like one of my first, one of my first jobs, uh, when I graduated was working for a furniture company 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had a substantial amount of experience in wood and metal work from my undergrad, but they still spent, you know, six weeks training me to do things exactly the way they wanted them to be done, you know, and like do finishing exactly the way they wanted things to be done. And, and that was, I feel like that's something that, that was assumed when you hired, when you hire someone, I mean, anytime that I hire someone to work for me in the studio, I'm like, okay, here's the way I do it. Like, I don't really care. Like, I, I expect you to know how to weld, but like, this is the, this is my process and you need to learn it. And right. That, and so like, there's, it seems like there's been kind of a shift towards putting that, that kind of like technical training onto the institution, whether it's software process, like, especially as digital fab has come out, you know, or it has become more and more prevalent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's ironic though, that people see digital fab as like, uh, gateway to a job and it it, uh, it actually I would say it actually has been for several of my students but yeah. that's not why I'm teaching it right 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 right, um, right. And, and, and so it's almost like it, it's like putting it making it backwards you know if you were to say we're teaching contemporary art techniques because contemporary art is fundamentally informed by these processes that are used in industry or used in you know right. different um, career fields you're sort of automatically going to be teaching things that are, you know, of some type of relevance. Right. Whereas instead, you know, they want us to put these sort of um, learning goals that are, you know, chosen by uh, corporate donors to institutions, which I feel like it's, it's in some ways it's like a, uh, erosion of trust in educators, you know, because when you were talking about uh, foundations, for example, you know, the idea of 3D foundations, like cutting up cardboard and making um, objects out of cardboard, well, what is that good for? Right. It's easy to take something like that and point at it and say that it's not a marketable job skill, but in actuality, it is the foundation of, you know, prototyping, which is a totally marketable job skill. Right. And so I think that when I first looked at the question, uh, to me, there were like two words that I was interested in kind of picking apart. What does, what does this practical kind of uh, thing mean? What does that even mean? And right. also the idea, do we owe it to our students? And I thought, right. well, gosh, do we owe it to our students? Is that like, do we have a moral responsibility or is it more like, do we have a, just a kind of general responsibility to be uh, teaching materials and skills that are relevant to the contemporary world? Or I don't know the answers to that, but I feel right, like... Right. Anytime I hear practical, I get a little bit suspicious. Sure. Because there's also the aspect of like, what is a practical skill from one gig to another, you know, from one job to another, from one institution to another. I mean, I went from working in a, I went originally from working in a furniture for a furniture company, building uh, and finishing out furniture. And I, I took over a ceramic studio, like a nonprofit ceramic studio and was all of a sudden running this institution that was like kind of sales driven, kind of nonprofit driven. Like it was this real sort of hybrid place and like nothing that I had learned really in the furniture industry translated over to that second position, you know? I, I mean, very little. Yeah. It was just a completely different environment, like totally different material, totally different, like client base, totally different work environment. It was just, and so the idea, I think that like when we talk about practical skills and, and the reason I use the word practical skills is because that's, that's just a buzzword that I've heard about things. And I mean, I think that like, I think that higher has no shortage of buzzwords, you know, I mean, my, my favorite one related to digital fab is makerspace. I just, I can't stand yeah. that. I can't stand that term because it, it makes all of the 
things that go on, which in a lot of cases are pretty high end research, sound like kind of like tinkering, you know, or like uh, some kind of like misguided bumbling, whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, the idea that, you know, all these sort of uh, radically different types of spaces are getting kind of lumped together, you know? Right, right, Which right. For me, it's sort of interesting. Um, I guess, what, you know, one thing in terms of buzzwords, and it's a buzzword that I actually like, is the idea that something is transferable. And I think a lot with technology, technology can be particularly susceptible, whether it's digital fab or, you know, just regular uh, graphic software to this idea that, oh, there's an industry standard uh, software package. And right. if you don't know this industry standard software package, you're somehow at a great liability right, in the right. workplace. And I would actually argue just the opposite, that if you are able to synthesize the sort of like meta, you know, skills that you would get from learning multiple software packages, you know, or multiple different ways of doing something, that that actually is going to make you a more powerful and more adaptable, you know, employee. And that, to me, that's one of the big things, that it's not like one thing to make you employable, right? Right. And I think that there's also something, like I noticed that, so I teach digital fab as well at Shepard. And uh, our, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't really have like a, a digital or a new media department. I think digital fab kind of exists as this sort of weird intermediary class where it's a mixture of students from all fields that are taking it. Uh, certainly some people who are like 3D or material driven, but a lot of the students who are coming to us come from like graphic design or photography mm-hmm. who are interested in things like photogrammetry and, and, you know, just sort of the other ways that like physical output can be related to their work. And I notice, I notice a weird different, like I notice these weird sort of like correlations where students who come from a field that is very digitally oriented pick up the software really quickly. You know, like they're like, okay, great. I got this. This is easy. I understand how this works. Like if they're coming out of something like graphic design or even, you know, photography where they're using a lot of Adobe stuff, a lot of them pick up that interface, but tend to fall, really fall short or really fall behind when, you know, you start applying what's on the screen to a material like plywood or then like how that changes when you go over to like acrylic or plastics or, you know, like any of the 3D printed materials yeah. and that the materiality in like just that idea of materiality is different. And so like the, the that transferability of skills, it's like in a given class, there might be like 25% of the people that can like synthesize all of these skills from their other areas into into this one thing, which is kind of a hybridization of all of it, you know, like, and we teach, I should also say that we teach our digital fab very much from the approach of like uh, industrial design, like object design. And a lot of that is to remove some of the, to specifically to focus on the more kind of technical aspects of the process and removing out some of the, the, the sort of spookiness of like, you know, conceptually sound work, you know, when you're learning, when you're learning coding material, you know, new tools and every software, everything else, you know, yeah. just to, just to get a wrench to look like a wrench is like, that's a big move for some people, you know? I would say that we have a similar kind of focus. Although I think that we try to actually use uh, sometimes strategies that might, you know, influence like for future creative development, you know, like mm-hmm. thinking, thinking about maybe working modularly, for example, right. and how that could, so it, it really depends so much on the student. And I, I would say that digital fabrication is in kind of a unique um, place, even in our 
university because they do teach versions of it in multiple places around areas. Right. Yeah. And so, but I still get students who come from engineering and say, I wanted to do something because I wanted to do it, not because it was assignment driven or. That's really interesting because our, so like our digital fab is the only digital fab on our campus. We're a smaller school, obviously, but like we get, we get a lot of engineering students who come in and take the class and in the, in the like feedback, like, you know, we, we give out, you know, of course, like assessments and feedbacks at the end of the semester uh, for all the classes. And like overwhelmingly the complaint from people outside of the art department mm-hmm. is that the class is not vocational enough, that they, that they were immediately intimidated, that, that instead of, instead of just being like, here's how to draw a chair, we were telling them like design a chair. And that that was just sort of, that they felt that that was sort of un untowardly biased against uh, non-art students. I didn't see that criticism coming. I do now. And I mean, it's a consistent thing. Like every semester it sort of comes. But I also wonder like at a certain point, like as an engineer, you know, if you're working as an engineer, it would seem to me that some kind of like creative problem solving would be integral in that field, just like anything else. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, or even like a design process, which I would actually think would be fairly important. But I think that I'm always a little bit suspicious of student evaluations, you know, because they're, they're grounded in maybe authentic experience, but they're not grounded in future knowledge. <laughs> you right, know, right. <laughs> what's good for you. Right. So yeah, I, I guess I, you have to, you have to weigh that out against no 8am classes, right? Right. So yeah. yeah, I feel like, you know, maybe that's something that I wouldn't worry about. Cause I, I, I mean, my experience with students, particularly with technology, courses has been anything that stretches their sort of preconceived notions about what they're going to be doing is going to get some pushback. But I mean, I guess the practical skills issue, I mean, I think you and I both work in a, in a field where maybe I'm not like actively trying to give my students practical skills, but it's like a side benefit that just right. kind of is generated from the types of processes that I wind up uh, teaching. Right. Um, but I think if I were mandated to, to do that, that would probably make me really mad. <laughs> sure. sure. Even though my work is much, in a lot of cases, like like my practice every day, like I'm standing in front of a table saw and like, you know, doing things like, you know, working like right up in close with the material. Like you as an artist are, are very much more sort of fastidious in your craft, you know. Like I, I've always been impressed with your ability to like, you're like, I'm going to make something out of wood. And you spend the first six weeks like mastering like one aspect of this woodworking so that like everything is totally clean uh, and done like exactly right and precisely. But uh, like as to the like technical side of things, I think that also, and this may be just me sort of being biased or like sort of like craft snooty about it, but I feel like understanding how to make anything is a good part of making good work or it's like a big part of making good work you know like things like things like concept and innovation can take you to a certain point but at the end of the day people want to see things that are sanded correctly you know people want to like like work that goes into a gallery should look finished or if you're going to use craft in a way that is that is sort of incomplete or insufficient there should be some sort of aesthetic or conceptual driver behind that you know yeah, I mean, I I certainly don't mind uh, abject work or, you know, even my, when my students produce it, but I feel like um, it, it's not something that I've been able to do myself in the sense that I just wasn't comfortable with it and right. on a personal level. But I think 
there is kind of this idea that maybe craft crafting objects in a way that is you know makes them pleasing is sort of a maybe could potentially be seen as a market oriented way of producing objects right because i mean particularly when you start to talk about things like studio furniture or mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. that kind of thing i mean uh, and that's not really like an idiom that i've been working in too much but sure. it is sort of something that i'm i feel aware of yeah i think that also uh, somewhere along the line somebody uh as you know this was probably like 20 years ago someone had said that like a college degree is it's more important to have a college degree than it is to have a major right and that like having a college degree is first and foremost you know it's just a sign that like you can finish something that you start you know and i, I think that that's less true today than it was when they said that to me 20 years ago but i think at a certain point the the same thing when you look at like a portfolio of an artist's work there's 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 an importance in saying like you know to be able to look at something and say like this is something that this person cares about or that they like put all the put all the way you know like finished you know this person finishes a job you know and i think that there's also something you know like and this is just me as a, as an employer like when i hire when I hire assistants to work for me, like there's definitely like aesthetic and conceptual conversation that goes on about the work. Like we'll sit there and talk about, oh, you know, what about this? Like, what if we put this this way? You know, do we think that this is right like that? But the main reason that I'm hiring them is to do technical stuff. You know, the main reason that I'm hiring them to work for me is to, so that I can like the skill set that I'm looking for is someone that I can hand like a stack of plates and say like weld this together or like to hand a stack of lumber and say finish this out, you know, like like finish this yeah. so that we can start to process it. And the majority of the reason that I'm hiring these people at like an entry level, like out of school, is because that's what I'm interested in. I'm looking for someone that's competent, you know, capable and competent. And I, I think that that's true with, you know, a lot of the – when a lot of the like references and things when I write for – when I write to student, write, write letters of recommendation for students who are looking to go on to graduate school, or I write letters, or you know, like I speak to people who are you know potential uh, employers or things like that. That's one of the that's one of the first things that they want to know about is like, what can this person do? What kind of limitations might they have? You know, do you have any reservations about it? Which I think also like one of the other pieces though that we might be leaving out of the puzzle is that when I sometimes talk to you know employers giving references and stuff like that for my students one of the things that I hear a lot more especially for my students that have the technical skills that might be going off to do like software development or that kind of thing yeah we'll specifically ask about sort of people skills and communication right skills. right and, I was just gonna say writing is like as a practice right. so like the ability to write coherently is like right. such a hugely and I you know I don't know that it's overlooked anyway but i think that there's also well, I mean, just you can communicate the ideas you know which i think right. if you, if you're you know getting a bachelor's degree in communication arts or a sort of traditional art um framework uh computer science any of those fields are fields where you are going to have to you know have that experience where you know you stand stand up and speak about your work and communicate your work to other people working groups, you know, and all that sort of like those soft skills, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that actually are in a lot of ways equally important or, you know, to the tech, the technical skills. 
in terms of art careers, I feel like one of the things that I always ask the students, and I think they kind of like look at me a little funny, is like, which art world are you going to participate in? Right. Right. And then they look at me like, what are you talking about? Um, right, you know, right. Art world. And I'm like, well, you know, that within like, you know, sub, sub practices, you know, there are different kind of uh, combinations of those skills that are more or less um, germane to, you know, maintaining an artistic career. Like if you're doing community based practice, you right. probably should be fairly good at writing small grants. You know? Right, right. <laughs> or like, you know, it's, and, and so I think that even just having that conversation with students where you can get them to the point where they are willing to commit to a, a field of practice in a way right. that, you know, you can maybe then explain to them the necessity of certain skills based on their, their specific body of work. But I think this also gets back to your, your original statement of transferability. How can you, you know, like the, the people that I find who survive are the people that can take community-based work and roll it over into, you know, uh, commercial work, or roll it over into academia, or roll it over into something else? Like the people who can take, who who have like a baseline set of, you know, for whatever principles or baseline set yeah. of like uh, ideas, and they're able to translate those ideas on basically like different levels of art speak or put it in different contexts. Uh, where yeah. it lands ex successfully every time. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. And that's something that, um, you know, I would, that's probably like phase two, right? Right. <laughs> well, I would maybe tell them to like work on their home base and then, you know, move outside from there. But um, so the second, the, the other thing that you, you had said that was like an issue that you want to talk about was the idea of do we owe it to our students? Oh, Yeah. And so I think that, you know, we've been, we've been ragging on about like skills and process and things for, or what's practical and what's not. And yeah. maybe we should, maybe we should, maybe we should just delve into that. And I think that that gets back to that idea, like we were saying about the sort of like cultural or political connotations of college, maybe, but specifically art school. I mean, like art school is, is the like American punching bag for <laughs> poor decisions. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, I disagree. I, I totally I, disagree I, with it. And, but, it, it, but like, I mean, just read the news, you know, like it's like, yeah. every, it's, it's such, it's such low hanging fruit to say like, Oh, so-and-so went to art school and learned how to like tickle fight or whatever it is. And it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, no, that person went and learned to think critically. That person learned to solve problems, uh, whatever. Like they're doing all these like hard and soft skills that we're talking about. But like the the question is like, do we owe it to them? And so like, I guess I should let you start with it because you 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 had sort of addressed it early on, and so I'd like to hear what you think. Well, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I guess I would say I think we owe it to them to do the best we can. I feel like you know, depending on how you define practical skills, I would question it actually. And and I guess part of it is um, sort of thinking about you know, it's hard not to think of questions about why your pedagogy is a certain way without thinking about your own experience through school. And I actually didn't learn really very, I learned very few of, of my practical skills in school with the, with the exception of like most sculptural processes. And, right. you know, I actually did learn that in school, but right. you know, the coding and electronics and, you, yeah. know, you know, graphic software and all that stuff. It, there wasn't really a, a venue for that in sure. when I was doing it. And so it was like, you know, all, a lot of my technical knowledge was coming from, you know, 
experience. Rel- yeah, or re- I would say relatively, you know, crappy jobs, uh, you know. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, there's a reason why, you know, people go back to school in their 20s or whatever. Right. Um, so I, I do kind of question, you know, the idea of teaching, co- like coding, for example. Um even though, I mean, that's what I'm doing, and I, I think I'm, I think I'm doing the right thing. Or in, so, in other words, I think I'm doing the best I can for the students. Uh-huh. But I kind of, I combine it with, you know, scholarly articles and a, a sort of um, critical framework. But it's just fundamentally different than the type of uh, education that I got, or that I would have even received in computer science courses. Sure. Yeah, I don't. So I don't. I don't know. It's just really it's a tough question. So in relationship to like owing it to owing it to students or or you know specifically with technical things, it, it, it's kind of I think you know and, and I've been I've been sort of out of the like what's what's hot in academia game for a, a, a couple of years now, but it feels like that ten years ago everybody and their brother wanted was trying to hire someone who could do defab and could do like you know could teach a class in processing and could teach in a class in arduino could teach a class in all their crap you know all this other like digital stuff which is you know like cool and, and it's definitely like it's something that should be integrated into programs but i think that something that i've you know that i've kind of sort of anecdotally noticed as well is that like as that has gotten more popular in colleges those processing things also have permeated down into uh secondary ed like high schools and even middle schools you know that is true where you have you have students who are taking shop class you know and like when i was in when you know back in the in the at dawn of time when i took shop class it was like you were learning plastic injection molding and like how to rebuild an engine and like all this other like really sort of like just industrial things and the the programs even out where i live now they're teaching you know kids learn autocad and 3d printing and cnc and machining and stuff like that in you know seventh eighth ninth tenth grade in their shop classes you know in in, in their i whatever they whether shop or industrial arts or whatever it is that they're calling it and so i've started to notice that students who are coming to enroll in art school they they like have the option for these digital skills like it's already something that's presented to them early on and in some cases they're making the decision to 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 work in like an analog thing like they've got it's not like they're coming in and they're like oh my god 3d printing what's that all about you know it's this thing where it's like they've gotten a taste of that and they're choosing to do uh they're choosing to you know like work with charcoal you know or like they're they're choosing to like use hand tools or things like that because i think it can be really actually kind of a powerful course for the student you know because they come out with this sort of full package right i am sort of interested in where some of that stuff is going to go although i can't the tricky part about defining curriculum at least is that you know if the wealthy neighborhoods in the, in the Madison area, you know, have all these courses, right. And then the, uh, you know, the maybe more rural high schools don't, um, then we can't, you know, we can't sort of like, you can't expect it it all off on the high school. Yeah. So, but it is, it is really, I mean, I, I love it when students come in with a little bit of experience, but the other thing that I really like is that when they do come in with that kind of experience, they're not struggling as much with the technical aspect of the the assignments but they also are 
I have the opportunity to challenge them to think right. deeply about what they're doing, yeah. which I sort of feel like is what I would rather be doing anyway. You know, most definitely. And I mean, I, I think, and I think to a certain point that gets to the second, like the second related idea is that like you could, like the, the, the word that you owe someone something, right? Yeah. Like you could take a malicious spin on that and say like, oh man, oh, that guy, a poke between the eyes or whatever, you know, like whatever. But like really you only owe someone something that they want. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to, to an extent, I feel like part of that is like owing, owing is, you can't really owe someone uh, to teach them practical skills if it's not something that they're interested in doing, you know? And I think that at, at a, at a, at a, to an extent, it's always going to be something that's a case by case basis. So no matter what, you know, whether like U.S. News and World Reports, whatever comes back and says that, oh, like this is this return on investment and this is that return on investment. That's also all based on like it's taking the like a, a sum of information and applying it with like kind of a broad brush. Whereas like, yeah. uh, like when they come and say like, oh, this many art students are actually graduating and working in their field. Well, like what's working in your field, you know? In art, I think that's particularly difficult to define. I know it is. I know it is. And so, like, I always think that that's so. I mean, like, another kind of sort of weird example, another kind of weird anecdotal example is I have a colleague who, uh, you know, MFA sculpture and works in movie industry. Works doing works for uh, movie industry doing like props and sets, right? Yeah. And uh, I was I was talking to her one day, and she was like, "I have to make a hundred thousand flounder." in two weeks it's like something you know like she had to make a hundred thousand fish like flounder fish like two or three weeks and we were just talking we we're going you know we we're just sort of going through like what would be the best process like mold making and how you know like that sort of thing and it's like like she, she's well paid for what she knows how to do that's she's not working in the field of sculpture really but she's applying a lot of the skill set that she has to it but that's such a like it, it was just such a weird thing to be asked to do like I, I just imagine like well, you know my my brother is a nurse and my my sister works in sort of accounting but like do they ever get requests like that like they come into work like hey we need a hundred thousand flounder by the end of the week you know uh, and <laughs> I, had a, to- I had a, a job working for a product photographer where once we had to photograph a thousand uh shell toilet seats sure <laughs> you know as you do right right and then, like that's in the brochure, you know. That's when when they, when they when they give the high school students the open house, they're bringing them and they're like, "Well, someday you could make a hundred thousand fish," you know. Like, oh man, oh, it's getting cynical now. But yeah, I think this idea of like what we owe and what we don't. I mean, I I, I think that there's always there's always going to be a, a place to ply your trade. It's just the context in which you ply it, which we apply it, you know. Yeah. And so whether you're, you know, whether you're looking at soft skills and communication and writing and things like that, or whether you're looking at, you know, being able to do something technical uh, or like, you know, physical with your hands or, you know, your ability to like understand materiality and things like that. I think like you were saying, like we owe it to the students maybe to challenge them to apply themselves to their chosen course, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but I think that there's also something where like, in order to do that, we have to provide that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the sort of, you know, the reason that this is a, an issue really at all is because the economy is making it difficult for people entering the workforce, you know? And I think that that's, 
just kind of an unfortunate fact of the present time. But sure. I, I do think that if we can inculcate our students with some kind of resiliency and the creativity to apply their trade where they may not have originally thought that it would fit, mm. I think that that's a big piece of that puzzle. Um, because I think you have to be, um, and I don't mean in a cynical way, you know, creative. Um, sure. To survive in, in the current, current economy, you know? Sure. I think that there's also something that's a little, one of the things that I, you know, so I'm, I'm now 10 years out of graduate school and 15, 14 out of uh, undergrad, right? 15 out of undergrad. But I feel as well, and, and you know, like you and I both work for a state institution, right? So we should have students who are coming through and are able to pick a major study and like graduate with like a limited amount of debt, you know? And, uh, oh, well, not so much. Right. Well, that's the thing that I'm, that I'm kind of striking at is, is there's also, a, I feel like at a certain point, a lot of this is also driven by a, a, a approaching a threshold where it's, it's not totally tolerable to, uh, you know, to, to accrue the, the level of debt that it takes to get a four year degree and then walk out and say like, Oh, I'm going to work at some gig, you know, at a gig where I'm making 40,000 a year or, you know, 36,000 yeah. a year or something like that and applying, you know, e even though I'm at the top of my game. And so like that, I think that there's something that's really dangerous about that. And I think there's also something that's really dangerous about the whole convert, the whole sort of political conversation where you're saying like, Oh, well, we need to separate out these programs in these schools from, you know, like who can, who has the best sort of job placement or whatever, whatever you're saying about how like Wisconsin has funding tied to like, Oh yeah. Employment at the end of the game. And what you're really doing is, is you're, you're creating a tiered system or you're, you're exacerbating or like deepening the rut and what's already a tiered system. Well, I also think there's this recognition, you know, that has been the sort of state for quite a long time that, you know, the MFA is sort of the, you know, standard, standard degree, right? And then if you're serious about being a practicing artist, you would make a commitment to an MFA. And I right. think that, you know, so that just further escalates that debt cycle. Right. Um, yeah, do, you think that's really, do you think that's really like a thing that you have to have an MFA if you're going to be a serious practicing artist? I think it depends. Well, it depends on how you define serious practicing artist. I mean, I know several without, without one, but right. I think that we definitely encourage people to go to, to go on to get their MFA. Um, how much how much of that do you think and this is totally like different conversation we're having now, but like how much of that do you think is about the actual MFA and how much of it is is, is about the uh, three years of time just dedicated to research? I don't you know. know. Like, I don't think I think in some MFA programs you don't actually get that. Um, yeah. although I think you probably get that in our MFA program because um, it's very sort of student centered. Um, but uh, it's I think it's about the credential actually more than it is about the, I think the experience is definitely part of it too, but um, mm -hmm. I think that on a really cynical level, it's probably, you know, about the, as much about just getting that paper stamped. The credential. Yeah. Right. I always think that's, I always think that's an interesting thing. Cause like almost, almost nobody has, has people have always asked for my transcripts, but no one has ever asked to see my degree. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, and even and it's not just at Shepherd. like I've worked at a number of different schools in the United States and abroad, uh, you know, and for different companies and things like that. And people, the most people wanted to see was transcripts. 
And like, I, you know, I was, I'm not lying about having an MFA or anything. Maybe they just believe me when I go in there. But I always thought that that was sort of like, an, like, it seems like it's always been, and I think this is true, not just about like, you know, your degree, but as much about uh, like all the paperwork. I mean, the thing that people have always been most interested in seeing and that one of the things that I'm most interested in seeing whenever I'm interviewing, you know, either candidates or, you know, candidates for teaching positions or whatever is like, I want to see your portfolio first. Like, that's the first thing I want to see. That's the credential that I look at before I go, you know, start combing through your residency or combing through your like exhibitions and residencies and degrees and other things like that. I do feel like it's really tough. It's actually really tough for our students. And that's one thing that I have to kind of remind myself of all the time it's when I'm brutal. in the classroom, you know, is that they do have it worse than, than we had it. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I think that again, like it depends on institution too, though, or like what, who the students are and where they are and what they're doing. I like guess another case by case thing. The, you know, I think we've mostly been talking about undergraduate students and I'm not in a place to really talk about graduate students because we don't have a program. But I'm curious, you know, again, that idea, like if we go if we go back to that idea about practical skills, if the MFA is if the MFA is a credential, like if the if the if the degree is a credential, like Mm -hmm. what is the what is the skill that's learned in an MFA that 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 makes it credential? Like, is it just that you are willing to to set aside a a period of time and and a dollar amount to do it? Or is there like what are the practical skills that we're we're dealing with? Uh, I don't think that that's an appropriate metric for a graduate for a graduate program I mean like Uh sure you could say that many of the graduate students that I work with gain practical skills but again that's not like the goal of the of the program in any way that's like a like a bonus benefit and I sort of feel like yeah it's just as far as I'm concerned you know the MFA is solely about creating a focused body of work right and I think that you know of course in today's economy, I think it also becomes about starting to create a network and, you know, starting to create yeah. a resume and, and some of those other things, you know. But um, I, I feel like at least, uh, you know, where we are, it's about cre- creating that focused body of work. Right. And I kind of have to, like, like I said, I don't, I'm not, I don't have any real experience with that other than, you know, like doing some studio visits and some other things like that. But like, I've never been really inclined an MFA program from the other side. Yeah. I like, I like working with graduate students. It's, um, I think in terms of career placement, I probably work with them the, the most intensively, mm-hmm. um, you know, because many of them are going out on the market for teaching jobs, um, or for other types of jobs. And so that's a conversation that I try to start with them from day one, first year, not in a way to sort of like put them under any pressure or anything like that, but more just to sort of find out where their own uh, kind of internal focus is. Do you find that the bulk of the students who are looking for an MFA are specifically uh, seeking a position in academia or are there people who are in there specifically because you said they wanted to be taken seriously as an artist? I would say like half to two thirds are going Uh after a teaching job and then that drops as they uh, get teaching experience. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I've I've talked to other people doing this, you know. But yeah, I think coming in, it's so it's like a half to two thirds, and then I think everybody wants to, you know, make better work. Well, that's cool, man. I don't like. I don't. I don't know what else. Have we missed anything? 
I think we could probably wrap it up. It seems like we kind of went around and and back again. Cool. Well, that's good. I really appreciate like talking about it. It's always it's always always pleasant to talk to you because you're very smart. <laughs> Thanks. So are you. 